you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Good morning. Oh, that was so good. The first gathering definitely did not respond well, so I appreciate the, the strong response. Uh, peace be with you. And my name is Chase Woodhouse. For those of you that don't know me, I am a pastoral resident at Sojourn Galleria. Um, my wife and I and our kids, we were members here for about a year and a half. I was a church planting resident here looking to plant in southwest Houston. And essentially, a very long story later, uh, the Lord has called us to join a, really a replanting effort at Sojourn Galleria. And so I am now a pastoral resident over there, no longer seeking to plant a new Sojourn, but rather to help rebuild uh, a pre-established uh, Sojourn Church. So it's an honor to be back with you this morning and to uh, come to this wonderful church. I, I have to say, for those of you that are new that I don't know, uh, uh, for those of you that are kind of checking out Sojourn Montrose, um, I just want to encourage you that this is a wonderful uh, body of believers led by uh, good, faithful men who love the Lord, who serve y'all so well. You probably don't really know the, the ways in which they serve you, but I, I, I've seen it firsthand, and I just want to commend them to you. I want to commend this church to you. It's a faithful church that loves Jesus and will love you well and support you. So if you're here and you're visiting or you're kind of checking it out, um, buy in. Um, just c- come on in. Uh, become a member. It's a wonderful place to, to grow in the Lord. So uh, we are continuing the, the sermon series that Montrose is going through uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And this story is one um, where we see Jesus come into the home of someone. Now, the first thing, when I started studying and preparing this text, the first thing that kind of came to my mind is, what do I do when I have a guest coming to my house? If you were to look over at my wife, don't do that, but if you were to look over at my wife, she would be smirking right now because she knows that I go a bit crazy. I work really hard to prepare everything. I want, I want everything to be nice and perfectly in its place, whether it's an acquaintance, somebody that we just met, whether it's a, a good friend that we've known for a long time, or even a family member. I want to get everything ready to go, and I work really, really hard to make everything ready. Now, my wife also likes to have the place clean, but she's a bit more reasonable with that. We have three kids that are under six. It's not going to be perfect. It never will be perfect because we have children that like to make a mess, and that's fine. Uh, but I, I sometimes struggle with that, and I'll, I'll, we don't need to dive into why I struggle with that. That can be for counseling later on. But what we need to know is that that was kind of my first reaction. And, and looking at this text and seeing Jesus come into a home, one of the first things I think we need to discuss is what it means to come into a home in the Jewish culture at that time, and also who, uh, who is Mary and who is Martha. Okay, so I want to talk briefly, mostly about Martha at first. And the reason being is because this is obviously Martha's home. Now, Mary might live with her, and we're not really quite sure. But this is Martha's home, and Martha has welcomed Jesus into the home. Now, what you need to know about Martha is that most commentators believe, and we don't know this for sure, but that Martha was a widow. The reason being is the word Martha, the name Martha in Aramaic, the first part, Mar, means widow. We also don't see any mention of a husband either in the Gospel of Luke where Mary and Martha are mentioned or in the Gospel of John. We see in Gospel of John that Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus, but we don't see any mention of a husband. So it's very possible that Martha is a widow. 
Now, here's what we need to understand about widows, culturally speaking, at that time. Widows are uh, people in the community that have a great need. They cannot go out and get a job. They cannot take care of themselves. Uh, if they don't have children to take care of them, they really are at the, uh, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? They, they need people to help them, whatever that phrase is. They need people to help them. They're really low on the socioeconomic status. And not only that, but Martha, because she's a widow, it's possible and likely that her husband died tragically, died early, something like that, maybe not. But when something bad happens to you, there was a belief in this culture as well that if something bad happened to you, you must have done something wrong. We see this over and over again in all the Gospels, where if something bad has happened to you, you must have sinned, and the Lord must be punishing you. And I share all of this because there's it's a possibility, maybe strong possibility, that Martha, in this culture, in this time, in this village, is likely very lowly thought of. There are other people in this village that Jesus could go visit could go into their home. We're going to talk about what that means in a second. But he chose to go to the widow, who likely was lowly thought of in this culture at this time. Now, what does it even mean that Jesus goes into the home of someone? You know, if you, if you come over to my house, it's, you know, wonderful, you're a guest, welcome, but there's not a whole lot of cultural baggage that comes along with going into a home. But in the Gospels, we see Jesus go into homes all the time. And more often than not, it's not the homes of the religious leaders. It's not the homes of the Pharisees and, tax, um, Pharisees and Sadducees, but rather it's the homes of the sinners and the tax collectors. Now, why is that? What is he trying to show here? Going into a home means a desire to, to be known as a friend of this person. A desire to accept this person, just be known as, as more than just an acquaintance. I'm a friend of this person. I want everybody to know that this is my friend. So when Zacchaeus, who climbed up the tree, right, when Jesus goes into his home, he is telling that town of Jericho, I accept Zacchaeus. Now, what this means for Jesus is, I think, more than just a friendship. It's also meaning he desires to save this person, he desires to redeem them. He is the, the God incarnate who has come to restore all things, to come to save us from our sins. So when he is coming into a home of Martha and Mary, he is telling the public, I accept Martha, I accept Mary. And really what we see too in the text is um, when Martha talks to Jesus, asks him the question in verse 40, which is one of the most shocking questions in all of Scripture, in my opinion. And we'll talk about it later. But she's talk, she calls him Lord. So there is an acceptance that Martha has had that Jesus is the Savior, and she has welcomed him into her life. Right? She, she has been offered this invitation of friendship with Jesus, to be saved by Jesus, and she has accepted it. So the question for us, the question that I want us to work through this morning, that I think this, this text really causes us to wrestle with, is this, what are we to do when we welcome Jesus into our home? Again, I'm not talking about physically. Jesus is probably most likely not going to come knocking on your door and ask to come in. 
But if welcoming Jesus into a home is a sign of association and friendship and acceptance and really salvation, what are we to do when we accept Jesus as our Savior? What's next? And that's what I want to to study today. So when Martha accepts Jesus into her home, what does she start to do? She starts to prepare a meal. Again, very common in this culture. Okay? The women were responsible for, for preparing a meal, culturally speaking, they were responsible for preparing a meal when someone came to visit. So Martha is doing what is naturally her role. That's what she, culturally speaking, that's what she's supposed to do. Jesus comes with the disciples, likely with a group of people. She goes to prepare a meal. But notice in verse 40, I'm sorry, in verse, uh, yeah, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. The text seems to imply that Martha is not just preparing a normal meal, but rather seems to be going above and beyond to try to really prepare an epic meal for Jesus. Really, think about it this way. Most likely, Martha didn't know that Jesus was coming into the village. It's not like they had cell phones back then. Right? So Jesus comes into the village. Martha welcomes him into her home. She doesn't have anything ready. So what Martha's trying to do is instead of preparing a normal, nice meal, you know, turkey sandwiches with some cheese and lettuce and stuff and you know, some chips on the side, you know, an easy meal, what she's choosing to do is to prepare a lavish Thanksgiving feast without the turkey. They don't do turkey over there. Okay, so they're going to kill the fattened calf. They're going to create this wonderful meal. She's become so distracted with her much serving that what ends up happening is she gets really, really frustrated. She gets frustrated with her sister because her sister is not doing her culturally uh, established job of serving alongside her to prepare a meal for Jesus. And even worse, she gets frustrated with Jesus. You can see that in the question. She says, Lord, do you not care? What an astounding thing to ask Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And then she goes farther. She's not just asking him, do you care? She then says, tell her then to help me. She commands Jesus on what he should do. Okay, so something's off here with Martha. Jesus has come into her home and has issued a very obvious and public statement of friendship, of acceptance. And what Martha is doing, she's getting frustrated with her sister and with uh, Jesus. Man, there's too many names sometimes. She gets frustrated with him. Now, Jesus, his response is beautiful. Because when he says in verse 41... The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. It's called a double vocative in the Greek. And what it's trying to convey is emotion and care. Jesus says it to Peter, Peter, Peter. When he sees Paul, uh, when Paul sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, he says, Paul, Paul. It's a way of conveying emotion. Jesus cares for Martha. He loves her. But he offers her a gentle rebuke. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Just one. 
Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So Martha has welcomed Jesus into her home. She's trying to serve this amazing meal. She gets frustrated with her sister and with Jesus. He says, Jesus, get, your, get my sister to come help me. And Jesus is saying, look, Martha, you're so troubled and anxious. You're missing the one thing that is needed. You're missing the good portion. See, what Mary has chosen to do is to accept Jesus and come and sit and learn from him. But Martha feels the need when Jesus has come into her life and into her home to begin serving Jesus. And we don't know why. Okay, so we're going to kind of think of hypotheticals here. Why would Martha potentially want to serve Jesus when he has accepted her? One, maybe she believes that she needs to keep his favor. Maybe she believes that if, if Jesus really knew who she was, if he really thought through the idea that she's a widow, likely in the culture deemed to be a sinner, and she probably knows her own internal struggles, and, and she's, maybe she's wondering, I don't know if Jesus is going to stick around. Maybe I need to serve him in order to keep him happy with me, to make sure that he continues to like me. If he really knew who I was, he wouldn't stick around. Or maybe, maybe Martha is feeling that she needed to pay him back. Jesus has just blown the doors off the cultural understanding of, of who should be accepted by a rabbi, let alone the potential, and we know to be true, Messiah. Martha has been accepted. And so maybe this grace is scandalizing, and she feels like, i got to pay him back. i got to do something for him to make him feel like I love him, to, make him, to show him that I'm appreciative. I need, this, I need to prepare this awesome meal for him. Or maybe she believes that now that she has been accepted by Jesus, her responsibility is to go out and serve him. Right? The king, the Messiah has come. He's accepted me. Now it's my job to serve him. It's my job to take care of him. It's my job to do all these wonderful things for him so that he's happy with me. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we also struggle with this. Because if you are a Christian, Jesus has come into your home. You have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. He is sitting in your living room. And maybe what happens is this. Maybe you think you need to keep doing all these religious actions in order to make sure Jesus still likes you tomorrow. Maybe you think you need to go and, and pray a lot and read all the Bible, learn Greek and Hebrew so that you can really read the, the real language of the Bible. Maybe you feel like you need to be a parish leader. Maybe you feel like you need to be an evangelist. You do all of these things so that you can make sure Jesus likes you because if he really knew the real you, if he really saw that, he wouldn't want to be with you. He would leave. Or maybe you feel like you need to pay him back. Maybe you feel like grace is a loan. Now, let me say that again. Maybe you feel like grace is a loan, like a bank loan. He is giving you grace, and now it's your responsibility to pay him back. Maybe that's what Martha's feeling. Maybe that's what you feel. But grace is not a loan to be paid back. Grace alone 
saves. Grace alone by faith alone. So maybe you feel like you need to pay him back. Or maybe you believe that now you've been accepted by Jesus, now that he's in your living room, hanging out, watching TV. I don't know, that's weird, sorry. But maybe you feel like your job now is to go out and show him all the wonderful things you can do. See me, Jesus? I'm going out, I'm serving the poor. I'm going out and doing this. I'm doing all these things for you, Jesus. And what this heart in us is showing is that we've, we've forgotten part of the gospel. Because the gospel is this. Jesus has come into your life not because you deserve it, but because you don't deserve it. Jesus has come into your life not so that you can pay him back, but because you couldn't pay him anything. Jesus has come into your life not because you've earned the favor of God, but he has freely given it to you. It's yours, not because of anything you've done. You're so broken, and I am so broken. There's nothing we can do to earn this favor. There's nothing we can do to keep it. It's a gift that the Messiah, the Savior, has given us. And how does he give it to us? He gives it to us through his death and resurrection. When Jesus dies on the cross and then three days later rises from the dead, he pays for our sin. He takes all the punishment that we deserve and absorbs it onto himself. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. And when he rose from the dead, whenever he comes to you and you receive in faith his free gift of salvation, he is yours forevermore. And there's nothing you can do to pay him back. There's nothing you can do to keep his favor because he's already given it. And your job is not to go out and make him happy with you by all your religious actions. Your job is to receive from him. John 15 verse 5 says this. Lest you think I'm saying that you need to become a monk and not do anything but sit at the feet of Jesus. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The beauty of the gospel is that when you accept Jesus as your Savior, there's nothing you can do to pay him back. And now you have the opportunity to come and sit at his feet and learn from him. From him, for he is gentle and lowly at heart. Scandal. It's absolutely scandalous that that is what God wants from us. Rachel told me yesterday as we were driving home and, and I was processing the sermon that this, this reminds her of Peter. Before Jesus died, Jesus comes to Peter and decides to wash his feet. Peter's like, no way, dude. You, the, the God who created me, who is in charge of all things, wash my feet? I should be washing yours. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash my feet, you can have no part with me. The scandal of grace is that it's grace. It's freely given. There's nothing you can do to pay it back. So what Martha is doing, she's so distracted, so worked up, trying to please Jesus, when Jesus is just like, please come sit. Come sit and learn from me. Let me serve you. Now, I want to talk about Mary briefly because I think there's some likely people in this room that have not actually welcomed Jesus into their home. What I mean by that is maybe you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you're exploring Christianity and you're thinking 
about all the wonderful things that you're hearing about Jesus. Mary, when she receives Jesus into her sister's home, maybe it's also her home, whatever, um, she doesn't go to do the culturally necessary job that she has, a.k.a. serving food, right? Preparing a meal. What she does is she goes and sits at Jesus' feet. Without cultural background, that's not that surprising. With cultural background, that's a scandal. That's a scandal of one of the highest regards in that culture and time period. Because here's the thing. In this culture, women were not allowed to learn the Torah. Now, that is not an Old Testament law. Because you see, in Joshua and in Nehemiah, women learned the Word of God. So what happened was over time, this started to develop into a new idea. Women could not learn the Torah. They could not learn the Word of God. Women could not sit at the feet of a rabbi and learn the Word of God from him. Women could not even teach their children the Word of God. All of these are not biblical, but rather cultural additions to the Word of God. And Jesus blows it all up because he comes into Martha and Mary's home. And Mary sits at his feet. Now, what does sit at his feet mean, right? Is it literally describing where she sat? I mean, possibly. But that, that, that phrase also carries a different meaning in this culture. In Acts 22, verse 3, Paul says that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. I may have said that name wrong. But what, what that meant was Paul was a disciple of a rabbi, and he learned from him. He was educated by him. Women were never allowed to be disciples, But Jesus doesn't care. Mary is given the opportunity to sit at his feet, to be a disciple and to learn from him. She was not one of the 12, that's fine, but she was a disciple nonetheless. And here's what I think can can happen to us. Mary could have listened to all these cultural and really satanic lies and not received the free gift that Jesus was offering her to sit at his feet and to learn. And I think that maybe some of us do the same thing. If you have yet to ask Jesus into your life, maybe you're believing this idea that in order to sit at his feet, you're going to have to clean yourself up. You're going to have to prepare your home, in a sense. I can't accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I've got too much going on over here. I've got these sins that I need to fix up first. I've got to do these different things in order to then receive him. Mary doesn't listen to these lies. She comes and sits at his feet because Jesus has come to her and offered it. Jesus is coming to you right now and he is offering the free gift of receiving him and having him in your life forevermore. Revelation 22, I'm sorry, wow, 22. Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. See, Jesus is at your door knocking, offering you the free gift of grace that he won for you on the cross through his death and then through his resurrection. And he is now offering you the opportunity to have him and to come 
and sit at his feet. And may I tell you the good news is that he is not a harsh master. Rather, he is gentle and lowly. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He is coming to restore and redeem. So maybe you need to hear this morning that, like Mary, you have the opportunity to welcome him in, and you need to throw away those lies and just accept the free gift of grace that Jesus is offering you this morning. But in all of this, what are we to do when we welcome Jesus into our lives? We receive him as the good portion. In the last verse, Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This is a quote, a quote from the Psalms. Psalm 16, Psalm 27, Psalm 73, and Psalm 119. The good portion meant the inheritance, the reward, which then made me think of when God t- tells Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. See, Mary has chosen the good portion. What is the good portion? The Lord. See, what Mary receives and what's offered to Martha, what Martha's missing right now, is the good portion, the inheritance, the reward. What we receive when we receive Jesus is we receive him and all of his glory and all of his love and all of his grace and all of his mercy. And he comes into our lives to redeem us and to restore us and to heal us and to walk with us and to be with us. This is the scandal of grace, that God would love us so much that he would come into our lives and require not that we serve him, but that we learn from him. Again, I'm not saying that we don't go out and obey. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying first we sit and we learn We learn from the vine. And so this morning, I want to encourage us to do a couple things. If you've yet to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is willing and ready to come into your life and to cleanse you. And also, if you are a believer, let us remember that grace is not alone. It's not a loan that you must pay back. You don't keep the favor of God. You don't pay God back. Grace is fully received. Come, sit at the feet of Jesus. Learn from him. Let him show you his ways. Let him show you how to start serving him. Sure. But come sit at his feet. Because he is our good portion. He is our reward. He is our inheritance. And how crazy is it that sometimes we take our inheritance and try to go off and do different things. I've just come sit at his feet. And so when we come to the table this morning, and I think Cole's going to come up and, and help us with that, I want us to celebrate the reality that the good portion has been given to us this morning freely. Let's pray.